Well, good morning, First Christian. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so, hey, in the fall of 2018, uh, my family and I, we decided to go on vacation down to Gulf Shores, Alabama. And so uh, my, my, both my parents, my, my mom, my dad, and then my sister and her kids and my wife and uh, our kids, we all uh, were able to share a suite down there. Um, and we just had a great week, right? If you've ever been there, there's lots of stuff to do. And we had all the, these families' activities. And uh, we ended up playing in the Gulf of Mexico almost every single day. Uh, on the last day that we were there, last full day, um, the waves were a little bit calmer than normal, um, and so I decided uh, that it would be a great idea to take uh, my one-year-old daughter out on the Gulf of Mexico at the time. Um, and so I, I took her out, and um, she's one, she's a red-headed monster, she's awesome, uh, but anyways, I carried her out, uh, past, kind of past the breaking point of the waves a little bit, right? So we kind of walk out into the ocean, and we kind of get the breaking point behind us, and I set her in this floaty. Um, and we begin to kind of just ride the waves together, right? So it's just this awesome moment between a father and a daughter, and I'm, I'm loving this time. She's, she's enjoying it. We're going over the waves, and she's giggling, and it's just, this, it's just this awesome moment. But then all of a sudden, things were not so awesome, okay? And things quickly got kind of scary for just a moment. Um, so we came over a wave, and I looked at the next one, and I recognized that this wave is significantly larger than the rest of the waves, okay? And I have this kind of, you know, it's all happening so fast, but I had this moment where I'm like, that wave's coming down on top of us. Like, this is not going to be good. And so I just went to instant dad mode, right? If you guys have ever been in a moment like this, the adrenaline starts flowing, you're starting to panic, okay, what are we going to do? And so I pick my daughter up out of this floaty, and I'm holding her. And this wave is starting to come, and I'm like, okay... I'm a pretty tall guy, right? I'm like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so I'm just going to lift my daughter up straight Lion King style, okay? And I'm going to hold her up and get her, get her face over this wave. And so I hold her up as high as I can, and the wave is still somehow taller than that, okay? And so this wave is starting to crash. I don't know if it made the news, but this like 50-foot tsunami hit Gulf Shores, okay? Um, but anyways, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still not going to get her over this wave, and the fear started taking hold because my one-year-old daughter is out in the middle of the ocean without any floaties on now. And I'm like, man, if I drop her, like, she's gone, right? This is terrifying. This is like an immense amount of fear. And so I'm like, all right, uh, with all of the adrenaline and all the fear-based, you know, energy that I could muster, I launched into this insane, you know, white guy can't jump two-inch vertical, okay? And I jump as high as I can, and the wave begins to crash, and it still smacks her in the face, and it actually knocks me off my feet. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in here, I'm like death, just death-gripping my daughter's arms. And so the wave knocks me off my feet, and I hold her up with one hand above the water, and I catch myself on the ocean floor and pop back up. She is screaming her head off, right? She's got salt water in her eyes, her mouth, and all this stuff. So she's hurt, like she's terrified, she's screaming. I'm terrified, I'm screaming, okay? I turn around hoping that, you know, the people that love us the most in my family would be helping at this point. I turn around, my dad's just like, good job, you know, from the beach. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is one of the scariest moments I've ever had in my life. And he's just back there like, oh, that was awesome. Like, that was great, you know. But everything ended up to be okay because I had such, I mean, I'll just need to brag. Like, it was an amazing dad save, okay. Like, it's, it's a story that will live in infamy, and I can't wait to tell her when she gets older. But, man, aren't stories like that kind of fun to tell? A little bit, right? If you've ever had a dad save, if you're a dad in the room, and if you've had one of those epic moments, I'm sure you might have told a few people about it, right? Because we like good stories like that. 
that we're drawn to. We see them on social media all the time, right? Because we love to see dads, you know, catch their child before they fall out of the swing or they run in and scoop them up off their bike before they hit the tree. That we're drawn to stories like that. We're drawn to rescue stories. We like a good hero. And yeah, they're many times terrifying in the moment, but man, they can be really, really fun to retell. Throughout the book of Daniel, we encounter several stories that have this common theme that God rescues. We see these awesome moments of faith happen when they're pitted against immense amount of fear, and yet God shows up and rescue happens. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of give an overview. I'm going to go through a few, uh, four stories uh, of the book of Daniel. We're going to kind of see how in these moments of fear that these men displayed these, this awesome moments of faith and how God shows up and rescues his people from there. So we're continuing our greatest hit series today. Uh, when the teaching team invited me to be a part of this series, I asked kind of what we were preaching on. And what's been really, really fun is that we as pastors and we as preachers and teachers, that we've, they've really given us the freedom to share whatever's been on our heart. And so I'm excited to be able to be here with you guys today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go and open up to Daniel chapter 1. And so I wanted to share just a little bit of context about the book of Daniel, so that way we can kind of have a good understanding of where we're headed. So this book is about the guy named Daniel. Okay, very good. Um, so <laughs> you, you may or may not be familiar with some of the stories within this book, but the, like I said, there's basically four mini stories that we're going to look at and the characters within them. So the book, the rest of it kind of contains a lot of end times prophecy and dreams and visions. We're not going to have time to get to that today. Um, but so here's what you need to know. There was this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. Good job. Um, you guys must have watched the VeggieTales uh, version of growing up. Um, so King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he rolled into Jerusalem um, and with his armies and he besieged it. And so they ended up taking all kinds of stuff out of the temple of God and they stashed it over in the temple, um, over, over in their temple in Babylon. But they ended up taking more than just items. Okay, they ended up taking more than just a few items that Nebuchadnezzar ordered his chief official, Ashpenaz. Everybody say Ashpenaz. See, you guys are so smart. You guys are going to be able to go home and be like, yeah, church day, we learned about Nebuchadnezzar and Ashpenaz, right? All of these names you should never name your children. Um, but they're awesome names in the Bible. Um, so anyways, he ordered his chief official, Ashpenaz, to take some of the Israelites from royal family and nobility. But he didn't want just anybody. He wanted the best of the best, right? He wanted all of the young men without any defects. He wanted handsome, strong, smart, aptitude for every kind of learning. He wanted qualified people, okay? So he wanted all of the, he just said, hey, all of the best of the best, I want you to take them and bring them to Babylon over here with me. And so anyone meeting those qualities, they take and they start to strip them of their identity. So over in Babylon, they give them new names, they teach them a new language, teach them new history, new food, and just totally immerse these guys in a culture that is so far removed from who God is and what God commanded them to do. And so out of all of this going on, out of all of the chaos and kidnapping and slavery and all of this stuff happening, we have four characters that emerge out of boldness in their faith. That we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. These characters, they showed a courageousness to stand up for where they came from. They kept in mind the God that they knew to be the one true God, and no matter how foreign life became for them, they continued to stay faithful to what God had commanded them to do. They stood up in boldness for their faith. And this is where we encounter our first story. 
So the first time we see this boldness is in Daniel chapter 1. So keep in mind the context that we just talked about and all of these people being ripped from their homes, ripped from their families. They're being forced into a new culture. And part of that, was for, uh, part of that new culture was this new food. But these four men, and say, they stand up and they say, you know what, we're not going to partake in what this, what's happening here. We choose not to defile ourselves with this royal food and wine. So imagine the difficulty behind this. Imagine how lost you would feel that people came and they ripped you out of your home. They take you to a foreign land. They start teaching you new language and new culture and new history and all of this stuff. And yet, and, and these guys, they continued to show faithfulness to who God was. And so they started shoving all this type of stuff in their face, right? They, and so you got to keep in mind a little bit about the Israelites. So a long time before this, God actually set up for them, hey, if you want to be my chosen people, my holy people, if you want to be in this covenant relationship with me between God and Israel, here are a few of the guidelines that you need to follow. And so part of those guidelines was, new, uh, was certain food restrictions, but these guys were sticking to it. They said, you know what, whatever that royal food was, we refused to eat it. Now, I'm sure it was pretty great food, right? This, I'm sure it was really, really awesome food, and I'm sure there were just these amazing Twinkies passing the by and all this stuff, okay? Um, but they chose to stick to what God had commanded them to do. And so the chief official over them, he was afraid of this. He knew that these top, if these top-shelf guys all of a sudden started looking poorly, then that's on him. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, what he did is he placed a Babylonian official in charge of all of the captives out of Jerusalem. And he said, hey, you're in charge of these guys. Teach them our ways, but make sure that they stay healthy. And so when Daniel and his friends started refusing the food, he's like, hey, guys, listen, like, I, I need you to eat this because if you start looking poorly, that's, that's quite literally going to be my head. And so Daniel offers a compromise. And so here's what he says in Daniel chapter 1, uh, starting in verses 12 through 15. It says this, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Man, I don't know how they did it, right? That this, this would have been a hard thing to do, okay? That they had all of this royal food, this royal wine passing right in front of them, and they say, you know what? Give us nothing but the veggies. I'm like, man, I, I just imagine it was like a perfectly like, baked Boston cream donut, right? Passed right in front of them, and they're like, you know what? I'll take the broccoli instead. I don't have that spiritual gift. You might. I don't know. Okay. Um, but anyways, so they, they decide to stick to their faith. And this might seem like a small thing, but this was a big deal because God gave them the nourishment that they needed and made them look better than the rest of the captives. That God provided them with everything that they needed, and they ended up looking even better than the rest of the people who ate the royal food and the wine. Guys, we all experience this on some level. Not, not necessarily the nourishment piece, but if you've placed your faith in Jesus then there are things, there are temptations that are going to try to pull you away from what God calls you to. We find ourselves in a culture that is so far removed from God, and then we're faced with a choice. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to stick to our faith and be, be loyal and faithful to what God has called us to do, or and are we going to be consumed by our fears? 
And we're going to give in to whatever is pulling you away from God. But because of their faithfulness, verse 17 tells us that God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds. And it really sets these four men up for success in the land of Babylon. And it says to Daniel, uh, he, he, he could understand, um, understand and interpret dreams and visions. And this leads us to our next story. That King Nebuchadnezzar, the same king that raided Jerusalem, had been having this dream. And this dream troubled him greatly. And so what he did is that he ended up um, ordering all of the officials, all the, all the astrologers, the magicians, any, basically anybody who had a remote talent or gift for interpreting dreams, he brings them all in. And so he summons all of these wise guys up in, in Babylon, and he says, all right, here's my dream. Who can interpret it? And basically nobody, no one could interpret the dream. And so the king does what any irrational king would do. He ordered the execution of all of the wise men of Babylon. He says, you guys are all incompetent. I can't believe you can't do this. You're gone. This execution order included Daniel and his friends. And so Daniel eventually makes his way to the king and interprets the dream knowing full well that if he doesn't, he's dead. And guys, King Nebuchadnezzar, he really cracks me up um, in, this, in this book because he's, he's a pendulum swinger. Have you guys ever met somebody like that, right? That, man, it doesn't matter what the issue is, like they are taking a hard stance on one side or the other. Do you guys know people like this a little bit, right? That these people that they're always on the extreme side of things, okay? Um, that's basically who Nebuchadnezzar is. And so Daniel explains the dream, and the king falls down at Daniel's feet. So Daniel, he successfully interprets this dream, and the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he falls at Daniel's feet, and he says, Daniel, surely your God is the one true God. He was able to reveal this mystery when nobody else could. And so we're going to experience a couple of pendulum swings from Nebuchadnezzar, but he went from an execution order to all of these people. They were able to successfully interpret this dream, and then he just confesses that surely the God of Israel, your God, Daniel, is the one true God. None of ours, but yours is. So out of this, the king places Daniel and his friends in high, in high positions. But nobody could figure this out. No, Daniel was the only one that could figure out this dream, and it was only because God gave him the gift of interpreting dreams. And guys, if we're being honest, there's a lot of things in life that don't necessarily make a lot of sense. But it is abundantly clear that all throughout Scripture, that God knows exactly where you are, and what you're going what you're going through. So the Daniel places or the king places Daniel and his friends in high positions in Babylon. And this is really a big turning point in the book of Daniel. Because from here on out, we have captives, these people from Jerusalem, these outsiders are now leading Babylonians. And so this creates a lot of jealousy. It creates a lot of anger. That these Babylonians are all of a sudden saying, hey, like, I'm from here. Why on earth should I have to surrender and submit myself to these outsiders, these slaves, these captives? Why, why would the king do this? Why would, they, why would he give them positional authority over us? And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he's back to swinging the pendulum. So remember, he just admitted, right, he just admitted that that the God of Daniel was surely the one true God because he was the only one that was able to reveal his mystery. And some time had passed, and, and here we find him setting up this decree. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar, he sets, up, he sets up this huge golden image, okay? So if you grew up watching VeggieTales, you know the story of Shaq, Rack, and Benny, okay? Um, and he sets up this massive golden statue, or the VeggieTales version, it's a giant chocolate bunny, okay? Is there any, any VeggieTale watchers, right? A few of us? You can be proud, okay? It's all right. It's okay to watch good Christian education, okay? Um, but so anyway, they set up this, this huge golden image, um, and then he tells the, the king that makes this decree. He says, hey, whenever you hear the sound of all of these, uh, all of these instruments starting to play, this, this music, you have to stop whatever you're doing and bow down and worship the golden image. I don't care what you're doing. Whenever you hear the sound, you're to bow down. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But these three guys, they absolutely refuse to do it. They remember... Oh, so anyway, so these three guys, they refuse to do it. So remember, we got some really, really jealous Babylonians, okay? So we have these jealous Babylonians, and we have some outsiders not listening to the king. And so they do what any good jealous Babylonian would do. They go and tattle, right? They run to the king, and they're like, uh, king, you know those three guys that you put in those positional authority over us? Like, guess who's not worshiping your image? And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he's what are you talking about? And so he brings them in. So good old King Nebuchadnezzar brings them in and he asks them, hey, have you guys been listening to the decree, you know, the one with the huge golden image in the sound? And here's what their response was. In Daniel chapter 3, this is what their response to the king was. Starting in verse 17, it says this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God's or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Did you guys catch that? This crazy faith moment that, listen, Neb, our God is mighty to save. He can deliver us from this. But even if he doesn't, we absolutely refuse to worship your image. This crazy faith moment that even under the direct threat of their life, they stand up in faith. And they trust him. They trust God to rescue them. And so the king sticks to his word. Right? So the king from here, he, he goes and he throws them into the furnace. And then God shows up. So after, you know, you know they, throw, they throw these three guys into the furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks into the furnace and he sees not three guys but four. I like to imagine that they're in there just roasting marshmallows. Anybody like, you know. I don't know. I've got a weird imagination sometimes, but I like that they're, you know, they're in there just roasting their burnt marshmallows. And can we just settle the debate really quick? The proper way to roast a marshmallow, okay, is you slow roast it to get it nice, golden brown and mushy, and then you burn it for the crispy flavor. Amen? Come on. Okay. <laughs> that way you get the best of both worlds, okay? If you're just slow roasting it, you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. If you strongly disagree with that, we can have a theological debate after this. Okay. Um, but anyway, so they... they King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks in and he sees this fourth, this fourth person, and yet here's another pendulum swing from King Nebuchadnezzar because out of this, clearly he's amazed. And he's like, oh my gosh, this same God, the one that interpreted the dream, and now all of a sudden he's able to save these guys from this fire furnace, and so he makes a decree. He says that, hey, nobody can say anything against their God, right? Because only their God is powerful enough to save in this way. And so these guys stand up in their faith despite the immense amount of fear that they were facing. And guys, if I'm, if I'm being honest, if I kind of put myself in their shoes, like if I put myself in Babylon and I think through like the threat of, okay, if King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, you're going to bow down and worship this image or you die, I'm just going to be like, 
okay, I'll worship the image. I'll just fake it. I'll bow down, right? I'll go through the motions because it's going to save my life. But if we were doing that, we would be operating out of fear, not faith. That, that would be a fear response. I'm afraid of the furnace, and so I'm just going to fake it till I make it, and hopefully everything will be okay. But that's not what these three guys do. And if we're asking what this looks like today, guys, I think we would be blind if we pretended that we don't have potential idols in our life. Things that are pulling us away from God. Things that are in God's position, but sometimes we're faking it. That sometimes we pretend like, oh, yeah, that's not really an idol. It's just what I spend all my time doing. Or, eh, yeah, it's not really an idol. It's just I just love it more than anything else. Sometimes we're faking it. But what God calls us to is certainly a life of faith, not necessarily that fear. So some time had passed, and a couple of kingships later until we reach our last rescue story. And in many ways, this is the culmination of rescue in the book of Daniel. You see, King Darius, King Darius is now running the show in Babylon, and Daniel had done very well for himself. And he was in charge of so many people. And so Daniel finds himself in a really high positional authority. The king really likes him because of how well he's done. And yet we still have some jealous Babylonians. And so they set up a very good trap. They come to King Darius with all the flattery that they can muster, right? And so they're like, oh, King Darius, we have been so taken back by your awesomeness. Like you're just, man, you are the best king we've ever had. You know what we think you should do, Darius? We think you should set up a decree, right? That you, you should set up a, a period of time where it's all about you. 30 days, no one else can worship any God or any other human except you, man, because it's your party. You can cry if you want to, okay? You, we're going to love you for it. All of this, like these next 30 days, they're all about you, Darius. So Darius hears this and he's like, well, sounds like a great idea, guys. I really like the idea of 30 days being all about me. You know what? Let's do that. And they're like, yeah, let's do that, Darius. Hey, also, make sure you put it in writing that no one else can reverse this, not even you. We want to make sure that, that this is really about you. And so we want you to put it in writing that no one can reverse this order, not even you, king. He's like, well, I don't see a problem with that. Why would I want to reverse a 30-day period that's all about me? And so the trap is set. The king does it, and he makes a decree, says, hey, you can't worship anybody else except for me for 30 days, and if you do, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. And so these jealous Babylonians, they catch Daniel praying, just as he had always done. You see, Daniel heard about this decree, but it didn't impact his relationship with his God. He said, I don't care about the decree. I'm going to continuously pray, just as I had always done. And so they run back to the king, and it's a classic gotcha moment. Okay, so, um, man, I don't know if you, if you guys watch The Office. Any Office fans out there? A few of us, right? Okay. Um, if you've not seen The Office, I, uh, there's grace for you too. It's okay. Um, but there's, a, there's an episode in the show where um, there's these two characters, Dwight and Jim. Okay, and so all throughout the whole series, they have this huge rivalry. Uh, it's really funny. Dwight's consistently trying to get Jim fired, uh, but Jim just responds with pranking him, okay, and all of this really, really funny stuff. But there's a certain episode where um, Jim gets called to jury duty. And so he goes, he goes to jury duty, um, but then jury duty gets dismissed, but then Jim lied about the jury duty. You see, he was out almost the whole week, 
but instead of being at jury duty, he was at home with his wife and kids. And so eventually Dwight finds out about this. And so Dwight's finally like, I've got him, right? I finally got him. And so he calls the manager in. And he's like, Andy, Andy, hey, uh, if you were to catch uh, Jim lying about jury duty, you'd have to fire him, right? And Andy's like, well, yeah, I'd fire him to Timbuktu, right? He says all this stuff. And so Dwight has this moment of joy where he's so excited because he's finally got Jim right where he wants him. He's got word from the manager that he'd have to fire him, and he's got Jim caught in this lie. And that's basically what I, I imagine these Babylonians are doing, right? These Babylonians, they, they finally got Daniel right where they want him. That they've, they've got the king in writing saying that, hey, I'm not going to reverse this, and they finally got Daniel praying. And so they've got this classic gotcha moment. And I imagine the joy that they had, like, yes, we finally did it. That Daniel's caught, the king can't reverse it. And so the king has to do it. But remember, the king really liked Daniel, and so the king tried all day long. He tried so much and tried every angle to be able to save Daniel, and he couldn't find a way to do it. And so he has to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And so after a sleepless night, the king runs back out to the den, and first thing in the morning, and here's what happens in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 20. It says, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Remember, he really liked Daniel. So he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually, or who you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God has sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." And so Darius makes a decree. Apparently the Babylonians were all about decrees, right? He's like, all right, that first decree, that was done. We're passing away with that one. Here's a new decree. That everybody in my kingdom must fear and have reverence for the God of Daniel. See, we, we see Daniel standing steadfast in his faith, despite these people directly setting him up for failure and his death. Guys, sometimes, man, sometimes in our faith, it can certainly seem that way, that we're going against everything. We're going against culture. We're going against what people should tell us we should be doing. And it can get so difficult to stand firm in our faith and place, continuously trust God in these huge moments against these huge obstacles. But by now, you guys see the pattern. That moments of faith happen in the midst of fear. God shows up and rescue happens. See, Daniel trusted God, and he stayed faithful even in this moment of immense fear of facing these den of hungry lions. And God showed up, and he saved him from the lion's den. You see, all four of these stories, they have different circumstances, but their faith stayed the same throughout them. These men of Daniel trusted God to carry them through it. They trusted God to rescue them, and this trust empowered them to stand out in boldness for their faith in God. And so I don't know where your guys' circumstances are this morning, but the odds are you're not going to face a fiery furnace. You're not going to face a den of lions for your faith. But I will tell you, there will be something that you come up against, some obstacle that will try to prevent you from staying faithful. It will challenge you in your faith. See, in all four of these stories, their faith was on trial. They faced fear. They were in a foreign land. 
Guys, this is where we can relate. We live in a culture that has, has stuff pulling us away from God all the time. We have temptations. We have sin. We, we live in a world that ultimately thinks it doesn't really need Jesus. That well, I can do this on my own. Why would I need to submit myself to somebody? So I don't know where you guys are at. But the challenge is, is that your circumstances are different from that of the stories of Daniel. But will your faith be the same? That, yeah, you're going to have different circumstances. You're going to have different challenges. But is your faith going to be the same as that of the men of Daniel? In the midst of fear, in the midst of obstacles, in the midst of sin and temptation and all of this stuff, will your faith stay the same that says, no matter how far this world seems like it's getting away from God, no matter where this, whatever's right in front of me, it doesn't matter what you do because I'm staying faithful to my God because I know that I've been saved by Jesus. I'm sticking to it. Because if there's a truth that I can communicate to you guys today, it's this. Whenever we look through the book of Daniel, it's this simple truth. That God calls us to be fearless and faithful rather than fearful and faithless. That whenever we look at the story of Daniel, and whenever we look at what the, what the, the message of Scripture is, that God wants us to be fearless and faithful rather than fearful and faithless. Let's move to a time of response this morning. Guys, there's a simple truth that we need to keep in mind this morning. It's that God rescues his people. That God is faithful. And yeah, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you guys are this morning. I don't know if you've, maybe you're facing a huge obstacle even this morning and you're just, you're here and not sure where to go next. But like we said, you're not going to face a den or a furnace. But there is something else that we face. That's clear that in Romans chapter 6, it tells us that we face a punishment for our sin, and that is death. That we have stuff in our life. We have this stuff that separates us from God. We have sin. And the punishment for that is death. And so God showed up because the greatest rescue that's ever happened is when he sent his son Jesus to lay his life down for us. That's the real rescue. And guys, we face a lot of stuff in our life. But we have hope. We have hope in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. That no matter what I'm facing, I've been rescued by the King. So whatever you guys find yourselves this morning, Maybe you are afraid of something. Maybe there's something going on. I don't know. But will you trust that our God is mighty to save? Will you stay faithful even in those moments of fear? If you guys remember uh, the stupid rescue story that I told at the beginning, <laughs> we like to tell awesome rescue stories. I've told so many people that story then I got to share it with you guys. 
you guys have the best rescue story of all. We all do. That we've been saved by Jesus. That God, out of this crazy love he lavished on us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to lay down his life for us on the cross. Ephesians 2 says that we are saved by grace through our faith, that whenever we place our faith, whenever we believe in Jesus, we receive this amazing gift called grace. And it takes away that punishment for our sin. It takes away the death. It takes away the sin. And now I get to experience this incredible, amazing, intimate relationship with God all because of what Jesus did for me. I've been rescued. You guys have been too. That Jesus came because he loved, God so loved the world. It's not just a few of us. God loves each and every one of us and he sent his son and he rescued us. So let's go ahead and pray and then we're gonna respond in a few different ways. Jesus, thank you for what you did. God, you are good. You are worthy of our praise, and it's because you sent your son, Jesus, to lay his life down for me, for all of us. And so, God, we we come here to encounter you. We come here to worship you, and so we are thankful that we can do that freely. God, in this moment, I pray that we would remain abundantly thankful for the rescue that happened in your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So guys, there's a few things that are about to happen. We take communion every single week and there's stations all throughout the room. But this communion moment, and if, we're being, if you've been coming here for a while, sometimes, it, okay, we're taking communion every single week. Yes, we are. Because it's important. It's important not to miss this moment. So don't just go and take it just because it's what we do, but go and take it because you are remembering the rescue that happened. You remember what Jesus did. You remember that he took your punishment for your sin and he wiped it out. The old is gone and the new is here. And so we, we take communion. There's a little cracker and a little cup of juice and it represents his body and blood that was broken and shed for each and every one of us. So whether it's your first time or if it's your thousandth time here, it doesn't matter. As long as you have a relationship with Jesus, you are welcome to come and partake in communion and remember what Jesus did for us. The other thing is we have prayer benches up here at the front that you're more than welcome to utilize. And can we just, just because you come up front and pray doesn't mean you're the most broken person in the room, okay? Sometimes it's great to just come and kneel before God and just praise him for who he is and what he's done for you. But if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, You're missing out on the greatest rescue that's ever happened. So I pray, I pray that you would accept Jesus, that you would place your faith in him. The last thing that we have are the give and respond boxes around the room as well. And like Aaron talked about, you have that connection card that you can drop that off in the, in the boxes. And our staff, we pray every Tuesday because we want to hear from you guys as a church and we spend, uh, we spend some time in the afternoon and we pray, for, we pray for you guys. I love it. It's one of my favorite things that we do in the, middle, in the week. So if you've got something that's weighing on you, drop that in that, in that give and respond box. And the other piece is this, that if you have uh, come today and prepared an offering, you can do that during this time as well. So whether that's on the Give app on your phone, 
or you can drop an offering in the give and respond boxes. But can I just say thank you? A couple of weeks ago, um, I was able to lead a team of our high school students to Mexico. And we had an amazing trip. You can ask any of the students that went. That trip was possible because of your guys' generosity. And what I love is this, that um, our team did a great job. We raised some money, and then we were able to utilize some of the funds that you guys provided through those give and respond boxes. We were able to actually give more than what the orphanage needed. You see, we were helping this orphanage down in Mexico. And they asked us to, you know, we did some work projects, and so we paid for that, and we paid for our utilities and all that stuff. But we were actually able to give above and beyond what they asked for. And we were able to send a bunch of children to church camp for the first time. It's because of what you guys do. That generosity. So when you're dropping something in the, in the give and respond boxes or when you give on the give app, it's more than just paying bills, guys. It is making kingdom impact both here and around the world. So thank you. But I get to say thanks again because, because of the Christmas offering last year, we were at part of that Christmas offering was to go and help high school missions. And so we're actually going to be able to send some support down to a lovely couple down in Mexico. Their name's Mike and Lynn, but they're full-time missionaries down there. And we're going to be able to support them because of you guys. They don't, they don't receive a check from the Nino, uh, from Ninos de Baja, right? They don't receive a check from, from them. So we're going to be able to support them so they can continue to have what they need. All of this is possible because of what you guys do. So thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to be generous because you our guys are making a kingdom impact. So the band's going to sing a couple songs. But let's take some time to reflect on the simple truth that we have been rescued from our sin because of what Jesus did on the cross.